All right, good morning or afternoon for me. Um, I'm here at the Jost Ranch. Just came down here, found a beautiful spot right here next to Goose Creek. You can probably hear it in the background. Uh, thought I would record our live stream service uh, for today from here. What a great spot, just in the middle of God's creation. Uh, what a neat thing to, to just consider God, to consider His Word, and to do it right in the middle of His beauty. Uh, what a privilege it is to join you this morning, to come into your home, and to speak to you this morning from God's Word. Uh, so we are on Psalm 132. We have three more weeks left in this series in the Psalms of Ascent, or again, these songs that, uh, that those who were pilgrimaging to uh, Jerusalem for the major festivals, these songs that they would sing, these songs that remind us of who we are, these songs who remind us of who God is and what His purposes and our purposes are in this world. So let's read it together. Uh, Psalm 132 says this. It says, Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships that he endured, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of Yar. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your saints shout for joy for the sake of your servant, David. Do not turn away the face of your anointed one. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forevermore shall sit on your throne. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation and her saints will shout for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine shine. And so it's this psalm that, that begins by asking us to do this, to remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships that he endured. Let's pray together as we get started. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the beauty of your creation. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this series, and we thank you that it just brings us closer to you and it helps us to, to rightly know who we are and, and, and why we were made. And in the journey of life, Lord, you're, you're speaking to us, you're guiding us. And so, uh, Lord, we just ask that you would help us, that your spirit would fill us this day, that you would make your word and your message clear to us and that that message, Lord, would be one that we apply into our lives, Lord. Help us this morning that we might be blessed by your word and help us also too in our day to be a blessing to others. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so it says, remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all of the hardships that he endured. It says, just remember, Lord, we just remember, and it is enough to ask knowing that we're talking to a God who would never, ever forget. 
If you remember the other day, Ben, or a couple weeks back, Ben was preaching and he was talking about this, this idea of, of just, just hear our prayers, Lord. That it's just enough if you would just hear them. And Lord, it's just enough today if you would just remember us. Remember, there was a thief on a cross next to Jesus and his, his petition for Jesus was just remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus told him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. That that there was a place for this guy right there in paradise. Goes on in verse two to say, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Listen to this, listen to David's enthusiasm. How enthusiastic David is for the things of the Lord. How, how passionately he is pursuing this idea of, of having a place for the Lord, a temple for the Lord prepared that his presence might dwell there among his people. David has this enthusiasm. We get the word enthusiasm from a Greek word on theos, which means in God. His passion was, was birthed out of God's life in him. It was birthed out of the spirit that God had placed in David. And this enthusiasm went out, outside of David. You see, listen to what this has caused David to do. Everything about what he's doing, I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord. It's this idea that I will be in self-denial, that I will consider the things of God and his home and his ways and his principles and what he wants to do and his kingdom, I'm going to establish it above mine, that that's really what this is all about, that, that, that we want to be a people that have a passion, an absolute passion for the things of God, that we become a people that really begin to put God's business first in our lives, that we wouldn't first build or think about just our own homes, our own kingdom, if you will, but that we would recognize and know that it's God's kingdom that brings purpose. It's God's kingdom that is going to make a difference in this world. But the first thing that God's people have to do is we have to get a right perspective, a right priority in life, a right understanding of how this sits. You see, until God's kingdom is first, until we're ready to put down some things of ourselves, you see, God's kingdom will never be first in our lives. As long as we're just a people that are, that are passionately pursuing our own ends and our own interests, our own hobbies, our own bank accounts, our own uh, homes, our own things of this world, we'll be too caught up in those things to actually be attentive to the things that God would have us to be attentive to. Really, what we're talking about is the idea of priorities in our lives. It's, it's, it's what's most important to us. What, what things, what kingdom, what home do we believe is the most valuable home to be built? Is it our physical home or is it our spiritual home? See, because if we, if we build our spiritual home first and we secure um, a spiritual home, we, we provide a place of refuge, a place of, of God's dwelling in our own hearts, in our own lives, and we're, we're 
attentive to that and we're purposeful about that, then the things about our physical home and our physical world and existence will find their right perspective in our life. They'll find their right place in our lives. They won't become idols in our lives because we'll rightly understand who sits on the throne, whose kingdom this is, and what the plans and the purposes for my life and your life is. So God is calling us to be a passionate people, a people that, that, that passionately pursue his home, what he's about, his kingdom, his things. So this begins to, to, to give birth to the idea too of evangelism. That, that evangelism is, is this idea that we understand really where God dwells. That, that building God's home and building God's kingdom is furthering his kingdom by bringing more people into that kingdom. Understanding that, that God doesn't dwell in temples that are built by human hands, but he dwells in the hearts of his people. He dwells in the hearts of believers. See, his kingdom, his church on earth is his people. Again, it's not buildings, it's not denominations, it's God's people around the whole earth that understand rightly who sits on the throne, who's the king, whose kingdom it is, what life is about, and what things we are meant to be pursuing in our lives. You see, God has called us to be a people who want to see his house built further and wider and larger and greater and more. He's given us a co-mission, a mission that cooperates with him and his thinking and his mind, one in which we go out into the world and we tell people about the hope that we have in Jesus. And, and that should be such a passion in the hearts of believers that that would be more important to us than entering our own homes or our sleep. We would be willing to be inconvenienced for this kingdom. We would be willing to give for this kingdom. We would be willing to sacrifice on behalf of this kingdom. We want to have hearts that match the passion and the heart that David had. You see, this is the reason that God proclaimed him to be a man after his own heart, because David was, was pursuing God in a way that God was even pursuing him back in. See, God is in pursuit of everyone in this world, and his call on his people is that we would share that heart, that it would be our deepest desire to also see his kingdom furthered, to see more people come into the kingdom to know the peace and the and the life that's found in in having the Holy Spirit indwell us of becoming a temple of the Holy Spirit in this world Haggai 1 4 through 7 says this and it's a it's a it's a it's a hard teaching it, it, it's a, it's a it kind of bites a little bit. It says this, it says, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while the house, while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. 
God calls us to consider our priorities and our ways. To think about, are we really a people that are pursuing things that will satisfy us? He's telling us there's a reason that you live in the place of anxiousness that you live in. There's a reason that you live in a place of that you can't be satisfied or it's never enough. It's never big enough. It's, it's just never enough that we fail to so many times be a people. And I'm talking about me who, who recognize that we have enough. And that because we have enough, some of the abundance of what we have could go to bless and to further someone else, to help them, to move them further into this, in this world and to be a blessing to them. You see, there's no satisfaction when we put our lives first. There's a spiritual principle that Jesus laid out there for us. And he says, if you want to find your life, you have to lose it. In other words, if you make it about you, if you make life all about you and about your plans and your purposes and the things that you want life to look like and do and be, and everything is, is kind of rooted in our own selfishness, everything that we do, even our good works, just become an extension of that, then we're going to lose track of what life is really about. We're going we're gonna to miss what God has called us to do and be in this world. We are going to miss what life truly is about. You know, David, he, uh, he did something that God told him not to do. God, God told him not to, to number his army, not to count the uh, number of, of, of fighting men that he had. And he, he went against that and he did it. And there were consequences. And, 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 and God said, well, he said, you know, you got three choices here. There's either going to be a famine on the land for seven years. You run from your enemies for the next three months or a plague that lasts for three days. And he said, you know what, let me just, I'm going to throw myself on the mercy of God because I know him to be merciful. May we not throw ourselves into the hands of men knowing that men aren't merciful. Let's throw ourselves into the hand of God and trust in his mercy. And, and David said, let's, we'll, we'll choose the plague. And, and so uh, basically the, the plague came through and, and many, many people um, died. 70,000 men died in this plague and, and, and God stopped the plague right in this place and it was, uh, it was at a threshing floor. And a threshing floor in the Bible is, is often associated with just this idea of judgment. It's the idea of where you take grain and you thresh it. You, 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 you kind of beat the grain and you loosen the husk off of the grain and 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 then that 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 husk it flies up uh into the you throw it up in the air and the wind just drives the husk away it's it's gone the bible calls it chaff so god told him he said uh he said uh raise up an altar here at this place where this ended where this stopped and it says this it says and gad came that day to david and said to him go up raise an altar to the lord on the threshing floor of orana the jebusite so david went up at gad's word as the lord commanded and when orana looked down he saw the king and his servants coming on toward him and orana went out and paid homage to the king with his face to the ground and orana said why has my lord the king come to his servant david said to buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the lord that the plague may be averted from the people 
Then Aruna said to David, let my lord the king take and offer up what seems good to him. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering and the threshing sledges and the yokes of the oxen for the wood. All this, O king, Aruna gives to the king. And Aruna said to the king, may the Lord your God accept you. But the king said to Aruna, no, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord responded to the plea for their land and the plague was averted from Israel. And so it's, it's this picture that, that, that David said, look, I'm not going to just take this. I, I can't offer anything that didn't cost me something, right? This is, this is what's pleasing. These are the offerings really pleasing to God. You know, it's really not about money. It's about trust and it's about this place really honestly in our own lives of sacrifice. And that can look like time. It can look like finances. It can look like a lot of different things. But really, there's, there's a, when we're willing to sacrifice for a greater cause, then we're demonstrating the type of love that God has for the world around us. You know, there was a little widow and, and Jesus pointed her out, not because of the amount of money that she put into an offering, but because of how she put that into an offering. Jesus said, hey, look, you know, she, she just basically gave a dime. But he said, nobody gave more than her. Nobody can give more than her because she gave out of her poverty. She didn't just give what was easy, what was no big deal, what, what she, you know, kind of didn't really care about anyway. What she did was she trusted God enough to enter into her own personal poverty and trust Him to be her provision and to provide for her. Verse 6 in Psalm 132 goes on to say this, Behold, we heard of it from Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of Yar. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your saints shout for joy. And this is the idea of personally approaching God. Let's, let's go. Let's go to where he's at. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let's don't seek our end and our things and ask that God would come over here and bless this. Let's go to where God is. Let's find what he's doing, as Blackaby so famously said, and let's join him there. Right. Let's let's find God what he's doing. Let's join him there and, and let's live in the righteousness, the holiness that God's people are called to and experience from that and out of that the joy and the blessing that God has for us in that. You see, it's not until we really personally approach his presence that we're able to even live out the calling that he has on our lives. How are you doing with time with God? 
That's the that's one of our our, our big things here that we've that we're looking at and we're 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 talking about and and, and this idea of 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 let us go, let us worship at His footstool. Let's let's know Him more. Let's be clothed in in with righteousness and let's shout for joy. How is your time of worship? How is your time with the Lord? Because this this is really um, out of that is where we're gonna have a collision with our calling. It's the place that we're gonna find what God has for us. As it spoke of Ephratha, it says it said that we we heard of it in Ephratha. And and Micah 5:2 has a, a prophetic word in it. It says, But as for you, Bethlehem Ephratha, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His going forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. You see, God has promised to bring a ruler out of the lineage of David. It's the Davidic covenant that we're talking about. It's the Davidic covenant that these people are asking God to remember that that you will send someone who will be a ruler for us, somebody who will rule and they will rule righteously and they won't just rule temporarily, they will rule forever. Verse 10 says, For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. It's the Davidic covenant, and it's much like the Abrahamic covenant, which said that there would be a son of promise, that one day that there would be a son that was promised to Abraham that all of the nations of the world would be blessed through, that, that basically that, that this would look like that his inheritance and his ancestors would look like the stars in the sky and the sand or the sand on the seashores, that they would be basically too many to count, they would be too huge, but that this son was a promised son and that he would come through this lineage. David also is promised this ruler that would come through his lineage. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7 is prophetic of this as well. And it says, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government of peace or on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. You see, this incorporates this idea that we would look forward to and that God would deliver both a son of promise and a ruler that would rule forever. In Luke chapter 1, Verses 31 through 33, it says, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. 
This was spoken over Mary and, and Zechariah as well spoke this prophecy. He said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy towards our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father to grant us that we being rescued from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people the knowledge <coughs> excuse me, of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So Jesus is proclaimed to be coming. The, the Jewish people have been looking forward. They've been looking for this lamb, this, this sacrifice, the one, this son who would be promised that, that would increase their, their, their kingdom and their influence, this, this son whom all of the nations on the earth would be blessed by, this ruler who would sit and he would rule justly and, and he, would, uh, he would bring peace. In Acts, it would appear that the, that, the, uh, that the apostles there, the disciples of Jesus, that, that they basically understand that this has come to fruition. In chapter 2, verses 29 through 35, it says, Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding this, the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. And so... Because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear, for it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And, and Peter here is saying, You guys know it. You, you've seen it happen. You're all witnesses here to the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. And he's saying, this is exactly what the prophets spoke about. This is the one. He's the one who's come to rule and to reign. And I think that that's a great reminder for us today in this world that we live in and the struggles that we have to just remember that Jesus is on the throne today. That, that he hasn't, things haven't gotten outside of his control, that things aren't spinning, you know, just into some sort of crazy chaos that, that, that he, he can do nothing about. He still rules and reigns, and there is nothing that comes into this world that doesn't first come through his lens, his filter. It's him who sets the terms, and it's him who has allowed anything that we ever experience or go through in our lives. But Jesus is on the throne and we need to take great comfort as his people knowing that regardless of what 
it would seem like around us, no matter what happens to us on, you know, however we're looking at November the 4th, no matter what happens, it's really truly Jesus who still sits on the throne. He rules and he reigns and he holds all power. It goes on in verse 13 to say, For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation, and her saints will shout for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. See, God's desire is for deep, authentic fellowship with his people. It's God's desire to dwell with us. It's why God has come seeking after us time and time again, all the way from the story in the garden to the reality of Jesus leaving heaven and his power behind, coming down, taking on uh, a human life, living that life out perfectly, that he might substitute his life for ours and provide a means of our salvation. You see, it's God's deep desire. He's, He's chased you and he's chased me. And what he wants to do is he wants to dwell with us. He, he wants to dwell not just with us, but really within us. He, he wants to, to move us into a place of understanding the reality of who He is and why He's come. Isaiah 56, 7 says, These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be a called a house of prayer for all peoples. You see... As the temple was, was, was erected, and, and, and this is uh, in reference to that temple, the temple and the Jewish people were always meant to be this beacon, this light that, that, that spoke to the nations the reality of who God was. That this was not a house that was exclusive. This was a house that was inclusive. This was a house that, that was there and was available for all peoples. There was no one excluded from this place. God was calling all of the world and he calls all people through Jesus. But back then, the difference between now and then is that Jesus has come. And and because Jesus has come, he's he's made a way where, where God doesn't need to have any separation between him and his people. There doesn't need to be a curtain that veils the Holy of Holies. That, that curtain was, was ripped in half. It was rent because Jesus took away that separation. He took away the veil that separated us because he paid the penalty for sin. 2 Corinthians 6.16 says, What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. This has always been God's heart is to, to have a relationship with you and I, to, to dwell with us, to, to, uh, to tabernacle, if you will, with, with us and among us. It's God's deep desire to move in and through this world, through his people. But what he needs for us to do is to, is to understand that we really need to prioritize our lives. 
We need to recognize that it's, it's his kingdom that's first. It's, it's his plans that are best. It's his things that I should really be attentive to. And I should be willing to move into a place of denying myself for those things, for others. That I should lay down sometimes the, the idea of just being right and just give deference to other people and consider them as more important than myself. That I would do all things, that I would be willing to be all things to all men that we might win some for Christ. You see, the idea is about self-denial, not self-exaltation. It's not about our plans and purposes and thoughts, it's about His. And so so God God asks us to, to remember that. He also, asks us to look back and to know and to understand that what we've seen is a fulfillment of his word that's that occurred over thousands of years and prophetically this word just went out and it was fulfilled in the person of Jesus he calls us to to move nearer to him in deep and authentic worship and then he he calls us to 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 this great commission of going and furthering his house his kingdom inviting more and more and more in. You see, it's God's desire to dwell with His people and because of Jesus, He's made a way. And so that way is available to anybody. The Bible says that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And, and, and that calling upon isn't a certain words or even a certain prayer. It's really about a heart that says, God, I want to know you. And I, I want to know you in a deeper place. I want to I wanna experience you. And I, I, I need forgiveness. You see, and so when we call upon the name of Jesus and we call him Lord, when we recognize that he's the answer for our problems, see, the Bible says that something amazing happens. It says that we're born again. It says that the Holy Spirit indwells us, that that he comes in and he makes us as messed up as we are into his temple. And that he begins then to, to teach us and to grow us and to move us. He begins to, to show us how to live life from, from different places and from new perspectives. He, he creates in us a new creation. He, he regenerates our mind and our thoughts and he forgives us and he gives us a clean slate to start from. And then he gives us meaning and purpose and says, now go, go out there into the world and and make disciples. Go out and tell people about me. Go educate and teach people about the reality of of who I am. Go and show this world that's so caught up in the material that there are things that that you can't really get a hold of. There are things like love that you can't see or, or, or touch or feel, but it's real nonetheless that there's a spiritual aspect of life that's a reality and God is calling us into that. And when we enter into that and we recognize that, 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 that that's the place where life is at, that's the place where life gets really good. So all you have to do is, if you have no relationship with Jesus, he just simply says to admit. Admit that you're a sinner. Get real. Move over into reality. Get out of denial and move into reality and say, hey, I, I've been an offense. I've hurt people. I've done things. I've, I've been an offense to God. That's the reality of it. And, and, and because I've done that, I, I have a need. And that need is for a Savior. And then the next thing would be that we would believe that Jesus has come to do that very thing that he came to live a perfect life and then substitute his life for mine to to give his life as a sacrifice that pays the penalty for my sins so that i can experience and live in and receive his righteousness and that's a deal that's available to anybody 
And then the Bible says to, we commit our lives, we, 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 we truly turn our will and our life completely over to Him, that we start to recognize that, that He truly is Lord. And, and, and to be Lord in our lives, He has to be Lord of all things. And so when we do that, and we do that from an authentic heart, a heart that really desires to know God, God is faithful on His end to come in, to build a house, to dwell with us, and then to deliver us out of this world and into eternity. Let's pray together. Lord, thank You for this day. We thank You for Your Word. May we be a people who truly get and understand that it's your world, that you made all that it contains, that you own it all already, that it's all yours, not just here, but the whole of the universe belongs to you, Lord, and, and but that you have given us special preference, that, that you know and love every person here on the earth, and because of that, Lord, then it seems that the next most logical thing that any of us could do would be to just give our lives back to you, offer it back to you, and ask you to, to use it as you see fit. So Lord, we just pray, pray that if anybody is, is listening here today that, that hasn't received you, Jesus, as, as Savior, that, that they would do that this day. And Lord, those who have, Lord, help us to take that to a deeper place. Lord, help us to know and to recognize that, that we've been caught up in things that, that we weren't really called to be caught up in, that we have, we've, we've fallen short of the calling that you've given us, and, and we've, we've made too much of our lives about establishing our kingdom here. So Lord, forgive us of that and, and, and renew our hearts. Give us a steadfast spirit, Lord. Help us to, to remember why we're here, why you've saved us, and what your plans are here. And Lord, may we all live into the great purposes that you have for us, the great works that you prepared in advance. May we walk in them this day. May we be your church truly. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Hey, thanks for coming and hanging out with us this morning. Uh, I, I hope you're blessed by this. I was blessed by preparing for it and, and studying in God's Word. I hope you're taking time and that you're, you're being attentive to your relationship to God. In these times that, that we are casting all of our fears on Him, all of our anxieties on Him, because the Bible says you can do that because He cares for you. And then it says this, it says that we should be anxious for nothing, but in all things through prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Make our requests known to God. Let's live our life with thankfulness. Let's be grateful for the good things that we have. And let's continue to trust God in a deeper place. Blessings. I hope you can take a few minutes now and, and maybe just spend some time in worship and, and just allow God to just kind of marinate His Word in your heart and in your soul. Blessings. We'll see you soon.